Five million people amidst a war zone are creating a new society based on principles that are dear to the hearts of many radicals in Australia. Welcome to ANUS, the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, formerly known as Rojava. This is a 10-part series of conversations with Haval Farat, Haval Tekashin and friends from a civil diplomacy centre in the city of Kwamizlo. These conversations provide an insight into how they are organising their society, how they are making decisions and how they are defending their zone from aggression from some of the most powerful military empires on the planet. We are confident you will find this series exceptionally interesting, but more importantly, it is the type of news we need today in order to ensure that here in Australia we continue to act up to create that new society based on egalitarian principles in our heart. Welcome to the uh, special program, number seven in a series of ten, with a civil diplomacy centre from the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria. On the line we have uh, Herval Ferret, we have Tekashin, and on this side of the world we have uh, myself, Joseph Toscano. Hello, how are you two? We're great, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, seven o'clock in the morning there because of the uh, here because of the time difference, but uh, uh-huh. we're awake and ready. Seven o'clock. Uh, in looking the morning. forward. Well, look, I'm glad we're your alarm clock. I mean, obviously, all you do is sleep <laughs> in all day and uh, eat the fruits of the land. I assume. Yeah, I mean, that's all we do here. <laughs> that's all you this do. Paradise. That's right. <laughs> While you're dodging bullets and drones. <laughs> everything's good. Everything's good. Yeah. <laughs> So what topic would you like to address uh, today? Well, there's two things uh, we want to talk about today. Just a a quick story before we start. Um, And then we thought we'd talk about global warming Mm -hmm. um, and the ANES response to global warming um, and and go through that because it's, it's incredibly different to the positivism Western modernist uh, response to global warming. So it will really show, throw into sharp contrast two different modes of thought. Um, so first, uh, a story. Um, so last night, uh, we got a call in that there'd been an explosion on the other side of the city. And so it was very near the house of some friends of ours. And uh, so we zoomed over there. And this is a family that I'd only been to see two weeks before. Um, And they're just an absolutely amazing family. They'd already lost two people uh, to drone attacks and war. And we got there and uh, one of the brothers again had been killed by a drone. The drone had had flown over and and shot his car and killed him. Um, And so it was a, 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 difficult scene 
for me as well because of the family. And there was maybe already, we arrived half an hour after the drone attack and there was already two to 300 people in the street. Uh, trucks were moving past, putting out chairs all the way down the street and the community would have been there all night discussing politics and ideology and, and the importance of stopping these, these attacks on people. You know, that family's lived there their whole lives and their parents and grandparents have lived in the same place and they, they don't have anything, you know, they have a car and a very basic house. Um, so yeah, that was a bit, um, and Hirel Fairhat in fact knew the family quite well. So he's, uh, that was a bit difficult for him. So, well, yeah, we hope. Are these drone attacks um, targeted, or are they just randomly um, terrorising the population of the autonomous administration? They are targeted. Um, I understand from military connections that Putin has granted Turkey the right to use drone attacks on us. They are. They are. It seems they are attempting to attack military targets but they don't always hit them. Um, yeah, but they, I mean, these, this particular family are very active in the revolution. Um, so it may be that they did intend to hit that person. Um, but yeah, it's, we, we don't really know. So, so how does the, apart from obviously the community interaction discussion, how does the community um, deal with this um, random death I mean, this random nature of people dying randomly, for, you know, from these drone attacks. It's because uh, obviously it can happen at any time to uh, anybody who's particularly active. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, living under this threat mm. is uh, it's it's nerve wracking, um, and it has its effect on the people, you know, because because people who aren't involved in the revolution get killed as well mm. bystanders and they just get the wrong targets and things like this quite a lot mm. and of course they do tend to create fear in the community the response to problems like this in the community because as, as we've discussed before it's an it's a very strong community there's very very strong friendship you know it's the community we all want um and it's yeah so there would be hundreds of people going in and out of those houses all night and all day for probably the next week now mm. of people coming in and looking after the family um and talking politics like i say you know they this is a community event there'll be as i said before big tents going up in the street coffee and tea for, for everyone people will make speeches um this is how the community reacts to it they get involved you know, you, you're not in. You, you're not left by yourself if you've had a hardship like this. The whole community will be in your house, whether you like it or not. No. <laughs> no. They will look up. So, how frequent are, are these attack in the uh, autonomous uh, administration region? Um, so, for the two years that I've been here, there's been maybe a couple of attacks, but in the last month, there's been four attacks as Turkey are preparing for, uh, as far as I understand from my military connections, Turkey are training the Syrian Free Army, the Free Syria Army, mm -hmm. who are um, uh, associated with radical Islam, political Islam, not cultural Islam, but political Islam. 
um, they're training them up, their commandos, and they're they're preparing for invasion from the west. So I think I think the idea is that they're increasing the drone attacks ready for these invasions towards Kobani, I'm told, and Serakani, and things like this. Mm. And they've certainly got more activity in there at, in those regions at the moment. And how, how did the uh, how did the Syrian authorities um, and they just give tacit approval or? Do you think they're concerned about this so-called Syrian Free Army? Oh, well, I mean, they've fought against them in war, in open war. Right. Uh, and certainly they've fought against Turkey in open war as well. I mean, this is what the SDF is, the Syrian Defence Forces. Syrian Defence Forces is supposed to be the Syrian regime working together with the uh, with Anis here mm. um, in order to defend Syria generally. This is how I understand it anyway. But there is the Free Syrian Army who wish to put a new nation state in that Syrian regime to overthrow Assad and fight against him. So Turkey is uh, potentially working with them to weaken Syria and to weaken us. So the, the Russians are playing a double game. They're supporting the Turks and they're supporting the Syrians. Well, I mean, <laughs> as you will be aware, there are so many double games in here. I mean, everyone's here, aren't they? Yes. Every nation's all got their... Uh, it's yeah. the playground for imperialism, isn't it? Mm. Reminds me of the 70s with uh, Mozambique and Angola, uh, all the Portuguese colonies. Everybody had their sticky fingers and the people who suffered are the people who lived there. So, exactly. Yeah. So in terms of the yeah. uh, climate emergency and global warming, has there been any difference to the region in the last decade since uh, the Autonomous Administration has been able to control this part of Syria? Yes, so this is going to be quite a uh, surprising response, but um, please bear with us here. We're going to try and explain why it would be like this. Mm -hmm. um, Murray Bookchin said that the environmental problem is a social problem, not a technical one. And so in that light, let's have a look at what's happening here. Um, people here, they leave the lights on all the time. They leave the climate control all, on all the time, even if they go on holiday. They drive big four by fours, um, the countryside is completely covered in litter. Um, plastic bag, bags burning through the countryside. The rivers are full of litter. Um, everyone, I mean, people eat meat, but they don't have you know, any concept of how that affects the climate. Um, and they, they, they they purchase and they consume without any thought for the effect on uh, climate emissions. Um, and they use you know, chemical fertilizers on the farming land without considering that. Um, so basically all of the kind of ideas that are in Europe that we should all personally take responsibility for reducing our carbon footprint and our effect on the environment by quantifying it and trying to get under a certain quota. That is not part of the culture or consciousness here at all. And when I, when I first got here, when I, when I didn't understand what was happening, I feel I understand it now, 
um, I, I mentioned to, uh, it was a group of Kurdish people that I was living with at the time. I mentioned to them, uh, could we turn the lights off when we go out because it reduces carbon emissions and this is, this will protect us from global warming. And they looked at me uh, completely blankly, didn't understand what I meant. Now, this isn't because they don't understand the science, and this isn't because they don't believe it's happening. They just have a completely epistemological different approach to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this was a, a huge surprise when I got here because I've been doing all the kind of environmentally good things from Europe. Like I didn't, I didn't fly in aeroplanes for 10 years, for example. You know, I was really trying hard to actually be a good environmentalist. And Murray Bookchin also said, he's not an environmentalist, he's an ecologist. So, so is, uh, is, is, it, is that attitude because people are under constant threat and the issue of global warming isn't an immediate issue and there's really been no change to the climate and the environment in that particular area? Or is it something else? It's something else. This is the response to global warming. It's not, it's not a temporary thing because of pressures. This is actually the response to global warming. And I'll, I'll make a case now for that, if I may. Mm -hmm. uh, it does seem strange at first glance, obviously. Um, so Murray Bookchin also talked a lot about instrumentalism. This is the idea of having intent in your mind instead of just allowing things to happen naturally and organically. So here, uh, people are, as I've said before, people are very, very happy. Um, their houses are empty. They have no things. And that's not because they can't afford them. They can. They just don't have any interest in things. Work is not an important thing here either. It's not a central pillar of ideology at all. People don't work hard. Um, people are happy because their houses are full of people and the, you, you can see the enormous joy that comes from real love and friendship in community. So you understand what I'm saying here. People don't consume here and people don't produce here. So all of the environmental destruction that would be caused caused by the industry of creating things for the mass consumption market, that doesn't happen because of the culture here, because it's more focused on people. Now, uh, so production is incredibly low. Consumption is incredibly low. Also, people are incredibly happy in their communities. Now, when you talk to people here, I, I always ask them, though, do you want to go to Europe? Do you want to live in you know, these beautiful places on the world. Do you want to see these beaches? Quite often, much, much more so, they again look at me blankly. They're perfectly happy to live their entire lives in their little community, surrounded by their friends. They won't fly in aeroplanes as much. Mm. Um, meat is consumed here, but actually it's a very small amount of meat. Uh, Abdullah Ocalan has said that we should stop eating meat. He said the uh, unnecessary slaughter must end. And he's a vegetarian as well. So the case that I'm making here is that the people 
do not quantify the environmental damage they're making and attempt to instrumentally reduce it. What I'm saying is because the ideology, the society, the culture is naturally happy, all of the destructive things that capitalism does in terms of maximization of production and produce, you know, production of all these pointless trink trinkets that everyone buys, um, that doesn't happen here naturally. So the culture here will naturally not cause climate change. Now, I'm not saying I've made that mathical, math, math, no, no, no. mathematical. Look, I'm, I'm exactly. Just, yeah, but, 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 but I think that, uh, that, but is the community, are they people thinking outside their own administrative zone? Because obviously there are many communities in the world in a similar situation who are actually not contributing to the problem. But it is it is having is it having an impact on agricultural production, the ability of the community to feed itself? You know these type of basic necessities. Has the climate changed? Has the temperatures increased, or has nothing changed in the past decade or two? Sorry about that. Someone just came in. Yeah. Uh, you're asking if it has actually had a real effect here. Mm. Obviously, your community or the community we're talking about has, is making minimal impact on mm. global warming, but the rest of the world is making up for what they're not doing. I mean, consumption for consumption's yeah. sake, you know, uh, uh, production for profit, you know, that, that's, that's the mantra. That's the global mantra. So is what the yeah. rest of the world doing having an impact on the environment and the ability for this community to be self-sustaining, at least food-wise? Um, well, as I think we mentioned last week, no, um, we're entirely not self-sustainable. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm talking about food-wise, food-wise. Food-wise, we're not self-sustainable either. I mean, one of the other effects here is that everyone tries to get everything from friends. So when... When we do become self-sustainable, when we do change the uh, the wheat fields of Rajava to a variety of food, everyone in the cities and villages will always try to get local food. Now, now, now in Europe, that happens because of a mathematical concept that that will be better for climate. Here, it becomes it's like this because everyone wants to talk to their friends to get things done all the time. Um, so again, when that happens, there should be much lower food miles, not because there's food miles being measured, but because the friendship is causing it to happen as well. But uh, we do need to get to the stage. We do want to get to the stage where we are producing food locally. But you know how terribly difficult it is here. We basically live in a desert. Um, we have to drill down 100 metres to get water. So it, it's going to take time to repair all the damage that was done 50 years ago when they cut down all the trees and it took the water table uh, 100 metres lower. Uh, it's going to be a lot of work. But people are doing it. People are planting trees and stuff. So... Um, hmm. All right. So... Does that mean that there's been no impact on the region uh, as far as global warming is concerned or has there been an impact and people are being forced to confront that impact? 
Well, I mean, El Hasico degree C last year. It was, I think it was officially the hottest place on the planet. Uh, so we're definitely feeling the effects of global warming, if that's what you meant. In terms of are things changing here? Um, because of a consciousness about global warming, I don't think they are because people aren't particularly conscious about global well, I mean, warming. I have a consciousness of things changing, the climate changing, agricultural production changing. I mean, people must be conscious of what's happening in the places they live. Well, you don't think there's that consciousness is, is there? Um, well, actually, in my experience, um, people don't talk about climate change here. Mm -hmm. uh, when I mention it, it doesn't seem to be a thing they're concerned about or particularly talking about. They're aware that the, it's getting hotter here. They're aware that it's more difficult to get water. But when I talk about climate change, uh, people don't particularly respond about it, actually. That's, that's the way it is here. Um, and in fact, when I talk to people, it's interesting, you know, because to you and I, I'm sure, the vast amount of rubbish that is in the rivers and the fields here, this is a very ugly thing to us. But other people here don't seem to don't seem to notice it, you know. Um, well, I've, been, I've been in situations where that, that's a fact. There are parts of Australia where that's a fact. But did people notice that it has a, a consequence in terms of their, uh, their water, their land? I mean, that's, it just seems to me – I can understand because, you know, you, you're a, a culture which is not based on, you know, like Western concepts of profit for profit's sake and consumption for consumption's sake. And obviously the footprint you leave is almost negligible, almost invisible. But in terms of the local environment and local changes, whether you attribute them to climate change or not, there's, what, there's no consciousness regarding that these changes may require a response? Well, actually, Hebo Farhat's just come back. Um, he popped off quickly to do something. Let me put that question to him. Tefankad. Garmi Global. Kessliver. Fendike, Fendikin Chie, Fendikin Ku Mesola Chidikin, Bandor Heye, he said, Garmin Global, and Farknakin, or Femnakin, Chawa Chawa. Tenel Zanige, ah, Dersaya, Dersaya, Mm. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Apparently, there's a course at the university in in global warming. I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, ah, that you're behind the times, there, Tekishin. <laughs> Sorry, I said you're behind the times. They've they've actually outstripped you. <laughs> you're not keeping up with developments. Hevelfed uh, <laughs> <laughs> had also says that in general. The society here, like I said, um, doesn't know what it is, doesn't pay attention to it, doesn't doesn't connect right. the increase in temperature 
or the other effects here, like the reduction in the water table with a global giant climate change problem. Um, and this is my experience as well. What I would say about that is that whilst Bookchin said that um, it's a social problem, not a technical one, I think once you start trying to make it a technical one, it actually starts destroying the possibility of the social solution. Because the technical one is to think mathematically, to think with positivism, mm. and then try and impose restrictions on people to control their quotas. And this way of thinking is completely uh, diametrically opposed to the way people are here. Mm. Yeah, look, so, I, I understand. Um, I understand what you're saying. In Australia, currently, there's a huge debate with the yeah. government of the day thinks that uh, the climate emergency is, is a way to make money, basically. Uh, they, uh, yeah. they think they can continue to sell cold and, and uh, we don't mean to make no lifestyle changes and it's all about technology, you know, finding technological solutions, no changes mm. as far as society is concerned. But obviously, yeah. in the autonomous administration, you are starting to feel the effects because water is, is critical. Apart from table water, you said you've got rivers. Is water cut, do you use water from the rivers? Do the rivers dry up in, in summer? Yeah, well, exactly. Let me ask about Berhat because he's here again now and I want to um, get his opinion on these things. So, um, what have Berhat saying? Um, that actually, before Turkey dammed the rivers, there wasn't such a big problem. The Euphrates and another Chenevirche. Tene Euphrates. Euphrates here. Oh Dijleji. Dijleji here. these are these are two big rivers. So there were there, there is no water problem here. It's actually just that Turkey has dammed the um the rivers. So people are very aware of that. And also, they've been sending people to attack the water stations. The water stations, yeah. So um, one of the water stations was taken out to the west by um, Turkey-supported Tekta. Um, and that caused an incredible um, drought, and people were dying from uh, lack of water. But people will blame Turkey for this, not, not global warming. Well, right. So what, the rivers, the Euphrates has been dammed. Yes, in Turkey, in and Turkey. it's visibly reduced the result of that. Mm, so obviously, well, it makes sense that people don't. Uh, it's more of a human-made problem. Yeah, it's yeah. Quite, so yeah. <laughs> in fact, yeah. and we have all the technology with us here. So, I mean, it was twenty meters the water table. Now it's a hundred. But actually, this isn't a problem. This is a post-scarcity culture. Uh, we have drilling machines. It's actually no problem to drill down 100 meters and get water. Um, so we can still do it. Um, but yeah, there's not really a consciousness that that's, that's caused by. And of course, the deforestation was caused because of a social problem again. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't have, have these problems if it wasn't for the social and emotional problems of the states around us. So yeah, people don't connect it with uh, global right. warming. So, but I'll just ask him about Ferhat again, generally what he wants to say about global warming. Um, 
Glaube ich. <lacht> Gerne hin, glaube ich. Ich bin quasi ein bisschen. Lever? Ja, Lever in ihrem Namen. Äh. Ich bin cool, Lever. Kess. Nachdenken die Gerne hin, glaube ich. Ne, tisch der Gringe, ne? Das war ein Gringe. Es ist der Tisch der Gringe. Ich bin gern hier, glaube ich, auf der Rast. Man, Ligorite, Chiva Kalber, Ideology Lever. Charisse, This is interesting. Um, I've never actually talked to Hevel Ferhatua about global warming, so this is all surprise for me. Mm. Um, he said that, you know, there is ecological theory here as part of the ideology. It's a, it's a very important part of the ideology, but he's saying that the people have no practice. Um, and actually, this is interesting because I, I turn the lights off. Because I'm still, you know, very much trained in this of, of having an emotional reaction to um, waste, or, or what I call waste, or my conceptualization of waste. Actually, Havel Ferhat is like this as well. Right. Uh, I, he he looks at practice of uh, of, of implementing in in this way, um, which is interesting. Um, there's another thing that people do here, which is very difficult. If you ever arrive here, you will you will have to deal with this. They they cook a banquet for every meal, twice as much food than anyone needs, and then they immediately throw what isn't eaten away afterwards and cook again immediately afterwards for the next meal. So there's there's a huge amount of food waste, mm. and this is difficult for me, being brought up in a family that says, "Well, we definitely shouldn't waste food." Um, So there's, there's there's little concept of waste as well. Have I said that? Min gokku tema tikinin gelek gelek horing chirikin upishti chope ligorite bashe na na tringe na na bashe ah na bashe na bashe na bashe umina jibo akulujiji na. Lever herkes tıkazı gelerek bunu çekin. Bir şey, yine bir şey tamam. Lever hoş bir sağ ol. Tamam öyle. Bir tane bir tane mağdur. Kes filmler keçim o. Pivistlerine uysam. Evet. Bu her şey değil. Her tüm ne boş bir de. Pırsgiretçi. Pırsgiretçi germanya kurban. Uysam. So interesting again, Havel Ferhat is also saying that he he doesn't like the food waste. Um, that people are not connecting that with the effect that it has on, on, on global warming. There's also the water usage here. So culturally, what people do here is they wash the floors. Um, and even when there's a water shortage, 
um, people are putting gallons and gallons, sorry, liters and liters <laughs> um, of, of water on the floors um, every other day. And um, when I've said to people here, you know, there's a water shortage and just used a hundred liters of water cleaning this building when it's not really necessary in my opinion. Um, and, and people aren't connecting these things together and Hevel Ferrahata agrees that this is a problem. You're listening to the Team Park series with the Civil Diplomacy Unit of the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria. We're having a conversation with Tekerson, who is uh, a member of the Civil Diplomacy Unit. This is part of the 3CR Acting Up series. My name's Joseph Toscano, and the producer of this program is Kelly Whitworth. Getting back to, um, because of the transient and unstable situation you find yourself in, do you think these attitudes are related to the idea that people live for today and they don't really think about the long-term future because there may not be a long-term future? This, that's a great question. Um, Tefankar. Uh, Gopku 
راوش ليفير دوارت قالك نو وخيره لورا ليفير كاس دي فكرين تنا جيبو ايروش نو ايروش بلكي وصار دي زانينك وصار نيفزا 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 so absolutely yeah people live for today hevelfer uh, had said that people live for the next half hour i got to say why you're laughing <laughs> but it's true yeah. it's true yeah. yeah um uh he he says it's the middle east <laughs> this is the way people are here um but that is a very big part of the culture that you've just uh unearthed there um which is a great importance so people don't wear seat belts in cars here motorcyclists don't wear motorcycle helmets um people walk out into the road without looking um there this is, comes down to instrumentalism again actually they're not planning there are no plans here people go with the flow mm-hmm. and their reaction their work the things they do is very much more reactive to what's happening around them so they never know you can't ask Kevel Ferhat what's your plan for the next 3 days because Kevel <laughs> Ferhat has no idea what he's going to be doing for the next 3 days but that's the culture that's not a mistake that's the culture and we want to keep it like that el bashir no no this is this is something good um but yeah you're absolutely right that in terms of you know if we wanted to make a three year plan for uh contributing less to climate change in a positivistic way right yeah that's thank you bhakti shaheen we not liver uh not because to surya roja roja okay and فابريك مين اه قالك تشتم بجوب تاني انا مش بو بوندورا نيجاتيف امم اه مينا اه فابريك مينا اه دريا منزل مينا امم واجي باشا يعني تشا باشا يعني جيبو جرمه يقولوا تاني تشتم بجوب كان وكي موتور سياره امم industry so um have I... it oh the that project mean a minish bugger on the blue ball mm is that card not so evan ferrat is making a point about industry here um there is no big industry there are no factories here large scale factories um everything is small scale and in the communities and he says this is a, a very good thing in terms of uh global warming and it's in line with um uh bookchin's essay on towards a liberatory technology mm-hmm. where he tries to show that all the large scale industry can be reduced into small scale community units yeah, it's a constant debate um between centralization and decentralization what we see in a a private investment for private profit world is we see increasing centralization of everything but obviously in a more liberatory liberatory type of society you 
you rely on decentralisation because that gives you power. It doesn't make you dependent on a central authority. And obviously that's the political, political, social, cultural and uh, uh, technological framework that uh, is being used in this administration zone. So it uh, makes, makes a lot of sense, obviously. Yeah. For far too long, human history, it's been all about centralising power and wealth and obviously you in a very practical way, initially because of the cultural settings in that particular part of the world, but now because of a, a political and philosophical um, drive that you're actually cementing that as, as an essential component of that society, which is an extraordinary thing that you're doing, an extraordinary thing. Yeah, now that's a, that's a great summary mm. there. Um, and of course, we believe, and it has, has been suggested, you know, that having this non-instrumentalist attitude towards everything, where people are flowing all day and not imposing things, actually at a social level, this leads to a society that doesn't have any interest in invading the neighbours or trying to impose their ideology on, on other nations and things like that, which, of course, is another reason why this society in general um, should be more environmentally friendly, just because it has no... Re I mean, obviously, war is incredibly environmentally unfriendly, and we are seeing good evidence that this society uh, will not do that. Well... Obviously, there's, there's nothing in it for uh, the people living in, in the autonomous administration region to actually invade neighbours. Now, did you lose? Did the zone lose some of its territory when the Turks, when the US gave the Turks the green light to invade? And uh, did you get a refugee flow from that area, or did people just stay put? Um, when Turkey occupied West. Uh, Anes. Mm. Yes. Uh, so the Turk had who controlled her Efrin who Rojava Rojava. No. Efrin who Aleppo controlled the king. Gelek. M. Hola. Gelek. Chalbeji, a refugee, had the rest their refugee henne, Gelegjigo. Yeah, so um, certainly there was a large refugee flow, not just from the West, when um, Turkey invaded and still controls the cities of Aleppo and Efrin and those places, but actually there's been a general refugee flow into Rojava generally. Um, which is, you know, obviously put stress on everything here as well and created artificial situations of scarcity that the post-scarcity society is trying to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, Hebel Ferhat, I think, has been to these um, refugee places. Um, obviously, here we welcome all refugees and because, um, as it was mentioned last week, this is not a productivism society. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't analyse them in terms of what they're, profit contribution could be to our society, so they're just very much welcomed. Have uh, I said that? To Chui camp, refugee. Hemu. Hemu. Ah. Or Tishtek Beji, Lisa Raushi. Gelek Herat there. Raushi Oguri? Raushi Chua? Well, Chidikin, El refugee camp, Chowin. 
So the Syrian regime has not given the legal go ahead for um, the refugee camps here. So it's only the Hedals, the revolution that is providing aid to these people. There are five refugee camps. Ten cases. So we don't really know exactly how many uh, people are in, but there's five big camps just around Efrin alone, and we are um, providing food and water. So these because, people yes. because you're not a sovereign nation state obviously you've got no intention to be one are you actually able to elicit any support from the red cross or the united nations or is the burden left on the community as a whole i know you don't see it as a burden yeah. but i'm saying i'm saying the you know the fact that people got to be housed fed put in a secure environment and the list goes on and on yeah, you're absolutely right. Because we're not a sovereign nation state, we cannot make the contractual required agreements with NGOs in terms of safety, security and assurances for them to come here and, and work very much. There are NGOs here. Yeah, there's a lot of NGOs here, but the the relationship and the arrangements are very, very difficult. Um, yeah, so it's really just coming from the revolution. Yeah, mostly the of services for these people yes. and the situation in the refugee camps is very difficult as well yes. um, because of another factor because it's not just refugees in the camps there are ex-ISIS That's right. people in the camps as well mm-hmm. in whole camp for example I mean we've got a phone call once where some people have been uh, accused of being members of ISIS and fighting had broken out in the camps. So, as you can imagine, the camp is also a dangerous place for people to be. Um, and one of the things friends have been worried about is obviously this as a psychological experience for the people of Afrin who have become refugees. It takes many, many years to mend these psychological problems. So we really need to solve these problems as soon as possible because the the people's psychology will be horribly damaged by these experiences. That's right. I mean, I mean to our chagrin here in Australia, I mean, we, we've got a little bit of information about the um, camps in uh, the Autonomous Administration Zone because there are about 60, 40 to 60 Australian citizens, men... Sorry, mainly women and children, widows of IS uh, fighters in the camps, and uh, some of them are quite sick, and uh, some of their families back here in Australia have formed associations to try to get them out. Uh, but to our chagrin, although other nation states have uh, taken some of their citizens back, we not only refuse to take them back at this particular point in time, but even refuse to uh, support, uh, provide some type of... Uh, um, 
you know, financial support. Although last month some members of the Australian Secret Services actually got to the camps to uh, conduct some preliminary interviews, so maybe maybe there will be a, a change in that attitude. But this government has an exceptionally hardline attitude. I mean, we've got refugees and asylum seekers in prison eight years after they arrived in this country. It's just horrendous. So what what you're doing as far as uh, refugees are concerned, not just, you know, you, people from the, the zone that have been displaced, but the people who have flown into the zone because it's it's relatively safe, I think is, is just extraordinary, considering you have to rely on your own... Uh, efforts to deal with the situation yeah. mm. so um, could you convey our thanks to Haval Faret for looking after these uh, these Australian citizens because most of these women and children you know were just forcefully taken from Australia you know as, as brides of the Islamic State fighters and just find themselves in this terrible situation with no support from, from the government itself. And these are citizens, people born in this country, not just permanent yeah. residents. Yeah. Mm. And, um, as you know here, uh, it's very much intentionally multicultural society. You can, you know, a university and schools, you can learn in Syriac, Arabic or Kurdish, it's it's very intentionally multicultural. It's uh, there's lots of Arabs here, uh, lots of Turkmen, lots of you know this is this is our way of of living. So when a refugee comes here, I mean one of one of uh, my favourite people here, who's the head of the translation department at the university, she's been internally displaced three times now, mm. um, and she's she's running the translation department now and. There's, there's no problem with this. No one, no one is uh, uh, feeling attacked by the idea that lots of refugees are coming. It's just, you know, we, um, it's, it's perfectly acceptable for that to happen and to help them uh, be a happy part of society. Obviously, it fits in with the philosophical and ideological basis of what's happening in this part of the world. How do you feel... How does Fuhat feel regarding the security situation currently? Do they, does he think they'll be able to maintain their integrity? Because um, obviously with the Turks kind of being uh, lifting their um, goals, trying to distract their population from all the issues they have, uh, a further invasion would be very beneficial for the current uh, president as far as his popular standing is concerned. Yeah, and Ligurite, Evel Ferhat Roche, Eulehi, Chawan Turk, Ben, Jibo Elishtike, Akhtiman Hel, Akhtiman Hel, Akhtiman Okay, so Hevel Ferhat says that their strategy has changed. 
um, what they're doing and what they are doing, as can be seen from yesterday as well, is actually, uh, he doesn't think there'll be a large scale land invasion. He thinks that they will massively intensify their drone attacks, hitting people in society uh, with, the, with the very, very obvious intention of just trying to disintegrate the society by doing that. Mm. Um, this, is, this is their new uh, strategic war with us. You know, sapping your will to survive by uh, increasing casualties, yeah, which is exaccentuates... Yeah. Um, in many regards, it's much worse than a short, sharp battle in many regards because obviously they want to terrorise the whole population, not just uh, deal with the uh, armed groups that are defending the autonomous zone to, uh, yeah. to make a wedge between the Havals and the rest of the community. But the rest of the community says, oh, well, is the cost worth, worth it in the long run? Yeah, it's a particularly nasty strategy which all colonial kind of empires have used for a long, long time. Mm. So, how do, how do you both feel about the future? I know it's a big question, but because you're, you're trying to survive day to day, but obviously, survive for ten years, you've been able to implement some extraordinary uh, changes, and you've done it by keeping the old but bringing in the new, not by um, forcefully uh, trying to convert people, you know, through force, which is a uh, Exactly, yeah. uh, an, an extraordinary way and in a very effective way to to approach the issue. So uh, it's been a, a, you know it's been an extraordinary um, uh, period, I think, in history and I think in human history. And I think it may be. Look, I know it sounds this sounds a bit too, a bit over the top, but it may be that what's happening in there could be an example for other people around the world, and that's why we're doing this series, not just to understand what's happening there and how you've been able to implement these changes in the midst of a war zone where you know, you're know you facing constant hostility and refugees flooding in. But the fact that you're able to continue uh, living in this way and expanding it and hopefully this provides some type of uh, uh, example, positive example to the rest of the world. I assume that's the role of this, these civil diplomacy centres which are springing up to spread the story about the autonomous administration of North and East Syria to the rest of the world? That you've, yeah, this is exactly it. I mean, myself and Hebel Farhat, we've worked together quite a bit. And for both of us, what's happening now with uh, Radical Australia radio station, this is this is of huge importance to us. This is the future. We we have to connect society to society uh, to spread understanding about what's happened here. Um, but not just that, we have to make long-term friendship between the two societies. We have to go forward together. So in terms of the future, yeah, you've, you've very well summarized what both of us think is, is this. I mean, this is not a military um, society that intends to spread its ideas by invading everyone. It's the opposite. We, we hope to create a better world by talking with Radical Australia here and now. You know, that this, yeah. is, this is where we are working. Mm. Well, I think it's um, very f- worthwhile work. And for you to uh, uproot yourself from uh, Mother England, was it Mother England or was it Mother Wales or Scotland? <laughs> and uh, make well, this... I was born... 
I was born in London. Oh, um, so near Bowes <laughs> Bell, in sight of Bowes Bell, or not? Inside of Bowes Bells, I am in fact a Cockney. Yeah, yes, in fact a Cockney. Um, <laughs> well, well, that explains much. everything, doesn't it? That explains yeah. everything. <laughs> that, that that rebel streak. It's uh, it's genetic. <laughs> trying to survive. Look, I think I think it's um, I think uh, I think everybody's there is doing extraordinary. Obviously, some people doing it consciously, some unconsciously, and obviously, without yeah. the havals, there would be um, a difficulty in keeping the whole thing together. But um, you know, I can under- I understand completely your attitude as far as uh, global warming is concerned, because obviously you're not emitters like we are in Australia, and you know, and um, people, you know, people. Um, it doesn't. It's not a, a pressing issue currently, although water is an issue. But obviously, it's been through the Turkish uh, Dam of the Euphrates. So I'd like to thank uh, you, Tekashin. And I'd like to thank, more importantly, uh, um, Herval Ferrat for um, waking up early in the morning to um, talk to the people of Australia. As I tell you, this program is uh, broadcast through the Community Radio Network here in Australia, which is, a, which is a federation of community radio stations, about 150 of them. Not all will pick up the program. But some will, and uh, we'll also podcasting these uh, programs, and hopefully at the end of the tenth series, we'll have some type of a permanent CD uh, uh, podcast. And obviously, in the future, maybe sometime next year after we finish the series of ten, if it's of any use to yourselves, uh, we'd be quite happy to continue. If it's of any use to you, mm. yeah, I mean, we we should continue this. Absolutely, we've got serious problems in the world and i think this is this is one of the most important connections to to make so let's continue right all right well thank you very much look after yourselves and uh, hopefully uh at the same time next week we'll be able to make contact and uh do series eight so you've got three th- subjects to think about between now and series 10 so to give us an, an insight into what's happening and it's exceptionally exciting to see what's happening in your part of the world because you're putting into practice theory that most people have felt was impossible to put into practice so that's that's the beauty of it all the best and we'll talk to you in a week's time wonderful thank you very much bye-bye Oh, I mean,